Buddha Blog English Podcast Episode 14 Buddhism in Everyday Life Mindfulness in Everyday Actions Please also download my app Buddha Blog English from the Apple and Android stores. This podcast is largely funded by its listeners. I would be happy to welcome you as a supporter as well. Thank you to everyone who supports Buddha Blog in their own way. Chan Buddhist Wisdoms A wise monk once proclaimed the following before his disciples. Buddha encompasses all suffering, but all suffering is Buddha. His disciples asked him, Master, how is it that all suffering is Buddha? The Master replied, He held the suffering of all living beings. A discussion arose, a disciple asked, Master, the Buddha's teaching is about overcoming suffering, then how can the great teacher hold all suffering? The monk replied, Buddha was not born a Buddha, he was born an Indian prince. Growing up in his father's palace, he noticed the injustices of life. Slowly an opinion solidified in him that later became the philosophy known today as Buddhism. On his long and rocky road to enlightenment, he took on much suffering in order to better himself, to get closer to his goal. Exalted Master, when all suffering fell away from the Buddha, when he found enlightenment, was this not his sacrifice invaluable to humanity, to his followers? Yes, spoke the monk, the sufferings on this path Buddha also took upon himself for us, his followers on the middle path. He showed us, by his example, a way out of the everlasting cycle of suffering. Thus Buddha encompassed all suffering, but all suffering was gathered in Buddha. O Venerable Preceptor, the teacher of all teachers established his philosophy when he found enlightenment. When his successor Bodhidharma and Huineng founded Chan Buddhism in Shaolin Temple, how did the evolution of suffering change? The monk answered, Suffering is a very personal phenomenon. All living beings suffer, much like the historical Buddha also suffered. The successors and patriarchs also had their very individual experiences, different approaches. However, over the centuries, little or nothing has changed in the original philosophy. All life is suffering, the truth about suffering hovers over all people, but through the Buddha's worldview, a way out of the eternal cycle of suffering is offered. For modern people of today's 21st century, this means that we will also suffer as long as we have not implemented the Buddha's teaching, as long as we are attached to things, as long as we wish and want to realize our goals. According to Buddha's teaching, everything will come to us as it should, nothing we can do to change it. One wisdom of Chan Buddhism is to sit better and wait for things to develop. In any case, it is better than actionism, wanting to have everything immediately and right away. 
suffering arises from desiring and wanting, because not fulfilling those desires brings us suffering. The Russian writer Leo Tolstoy once said, boredom is the desire for desires. Great things come. Great things usually come about very slowly. They develop over a period of time. They don't just appear. Good things take time, as the saying has gone for centuries. And even in our youth, we heard from our mothers that we should go slowly and proceed throughly. When great things come into being, time goes like the waves, slowly events land on the beach of life. When we look at history, we notice that events have begun far in advance, building on many circumstances that accumulate to a conclusion. If we are honest, then we can predict developments, see many things that develop as our future. But most of the time we prefer to suppress the things that develop, namely when these prospects frighten us. Those who are honest with themselves, the ones who can notice such things before they arise, will achieve clarity and live more contently. What about the Buddha's teaching? Is it also such a big thing that is emerging? Over centuries, the teaching of the great teacher has constantly changed, at sometimes followed by many followers. In other periods, his words were almost forgotten. In today's troubled world, his example offers people support and orientation, a spiritual harbor. All those who have turned away from the beliefs of the forefathers, who are searching for answers, they have found such a big thing, which is in the process of development, which offers real solutions and does not just shift the responsibilities to a higher power, without looking for answers themselves. Buddhism is such a big thing that is slowly emerging. Right now you're thinking about whether maybe there's something to it? What do you think about it? How do you feel about the Buddha's teaching? The philosophy of the great teacher could become that which can offer help and content to people. If more would live according to his teaching, the world would be a better place. Everyone can do their part for our future the question is which way we will choose. We have experienced bad things, last year was terrible, what the future brings we don't know. When life is bad, meditate. When life is good, meditate more. The Greek philosopher Epictetus said once, it is not the things themselves that worry people, but the opinions and the judgments about the things Horse, bamboo and wind. Do you sometimes wonder what your body should be like? Ideally, the human body should be strong like a horse, flexible like bamboo and fast like the wind. Why do you think I'm saying this here? My whole life has always been about disciplined training. I practice yoga, kung fu, qigong, strength exercises and speed training. 
meditation and briefing techniques every day. Even the historical Buddha practiced yoga. He received traditional Asian massages. He meditated. He fasted. Are you looking for a guide for your body? Imagine how your body could change in the near future towards a positive state of health. In your mind palace, let your body go through a change toward the three guiding images, horse, bamboo and wind. Sure, you might remark now that according to Buddha's teachings, everything comes as it should anyway. But if your karma is to improve your health, then it will. Sometimes we humans need a cause, a guiding light, a role model. Visualize the images in your mind's eye, horse, bamboo and wind. I received my Buddhist training in the Shaolin Temple, China. There the body is trained with discipline and with perseverance. In Western culture we know the sentence, only in a healthy body lives a healthy mind. Mensana incorpore sano. In the Chinese monastery, strength, endurance and speed are taught. Over many centuries the methods have passed from the master to the student. What about you? Do you have an idea how your body should be? How it could be in several years? To what extent do you want to incorporate sport, exercise and good nutrition in your daily life? Where do you see yourself, your body, your health? The horse stands for strength. The bamboo symbolizes flexibility. And the wind stands for speed. Can you imagine adopting these guiding principles, adopting them as a motto, so to speak? Do you want to be in a healthy, strong body, have flexible bones and joints, practice fast and safe movements? Health is a very individual concept. Each person is different, has different genes, different history. Training must therefore be practiced differently for each individual always according to their capabilities. If you manage to enter the guiding principles horse, bamboo and wind in your mind palace, then you are in a good way. Because one thing is certain, the way is the goal. The former spokesman of the German bank Alfred Herrhausen once said, we must say what we think, do what we say and be what we do. Feelings of guilt. Yes, the feelings of guilt, they plague us a lot. Who doesn't know these cheesy feelings? Has one once again screwed up something? Done something wrong? Did you behave badly? Maybe you made a fool of yourself? Usually the guilt feeling follows a wrong reaction, a lie or a bad deed. Some of us also blush, sweat and have nervous reactions. A feeling of guilt is to be distinguished from shame, because in the case of guilt the guilty component is added. One knows that one has done something wrong. In the case of shame the trigger does not necessarily have to lie in a wrong action of ours. It can also come from outside. According to the shrink Freud, the feeling of guilt is triggered by our superego, 
where social values are to be imposed. If now these values are violated by our actions, then unconsciously feelings of guilt arise. So we have trained the superego to ourselves by building the filters in front of our thoughts through which we see the world. Starting from our childhood, through the upbringing of our parents, the imprint of adolescence and adulthood, the filters determine our thoughts, the violation of the structure of our ego makes us feel guilt. A large part of the construction of this superego also comes from fears. Didn't your mother tell you not to reach out to the hot stove? Many fears are shaped by evolution, others are experiential, and still others are created by nurture. So when we violate the norms and rules we have set ourselves, we feel guilt. Here we can see that the teachings of Buddha shows a very similar approach, which is close to the view of the psychoanalyst Freud. According to Buddha, it is not the circumstances that make up our path, but the way we deal with them, the way we evaluate things and people. According to the teacher of all teachers, we should not judge at all, not divide into categories. It comes as it must come, that does not mean that it is or could be good or bad. The superego described above, our superego has very special filters through which our opinion can be formed. But what if we reconsider these filters, at least check them for their usefulness? Are there such filters that can go away? that are no longer up to date, that are not compatible with our present ego? What if we review our entire value system from time to time, rethink it, adapting it more and more to the teachings of Buddha? Where does my superego come from? Who am I really? What are my views? The Prussian astronomer Nikolaus Copernicus once said, I'm not so much in love with my own views that I ignore what others think about them. I do not like any more. I do not like any more. This or so similar sentences can be heard almost everywhere. The heavy burden of hysteria lies like lead on the mines. Suicides have become much more frequent. Like cornered animals, man also falls into agony when he or she considers that the matter seems hopeless. But it is by no means without prospect. Never should we give up again and again doors open in places we never thought possible. Who knows what the future will bring to bury the head in the sand is in any case not an option. Those who follow the teachings of Buddha know that everything is surreal anyway, that behind what we perceive as real, there is much that is hidden away. I don't like anymore, that's the wrong sentence. Cross out the word not without replacement, then it says, I do like more. Much more we should like, 
as much as is feasible. In the now and in the today we must strive for the optimum, simply because we are here that is already completely sufficient as a reason. Buddha taught that everything comes as it should. So what is the result if we like more from now on, except the finiteness of everyone's destiny? Because it could already be over tomorrow, then the time is past when we could still have changed something. I, at least, like much more. Wherever it will then come so, that remains to be seen, but I will make an effort in any case. I will continue to take on the effort, follow my karma and try to make most of the circumstances, just as I was taught in the Shaolin Temple in China. When you think you can't do it anymore, a little light comes from somewhere. Luke 11, verse 2, a truly good sentence. Whoever hears this block is probably a Buddhist, or at least open-minded about the philosophy of Buddha. But if now everything will come anyway, as it must, then we could face the circumstances much more relaxed, don't you think? Never say I don't like more. Cross out the word not in your mind and say I do like more. If we can't change anything, why fall into gloom? Why worry about it a lot? Jesuit priest and spiritual teacher Anthony de Mello said, Happiness is a butterfly, said the master. Chase after it and it escapes you. Sit down and it settles on your shoulder. So what should I do to attain happiness, asked the disciple. You could try sitting down very quietly if you dare. Take comfort and hope from these words, sit down mentally calmly, wait composedly for the events to come. According to the Buddha's teachings, there are not only the things that we can perceive, but many things are at least still hidden from us. Deep inside you there is this little seed of hope. Why don't you set out to find it? Buddha once said, Love means to have an open heart, to be touched and to be filled with love. Find my place in the world. Have you found your place in the world yet? Who are you? To find the right place in life, you must first find an answer to the most fundamental questions of all. Who are you? Close your eyes. What do you see today? Now imagine yourself 10 years from today, what do you see? And 20 years from today, what do you see for yourself? Where might your place be? What do you see for the future? Which place is the right one for you? At the beginning, there is the question about the own I. Who am I? Where do I come from? Where will I go? If you waste your life, you may end up wondering why he or she wasn't more mindful with his or her lifetime. The clock keeps running, moments pass by, as time goes by. Where do you want to be in 10 years, in 20 years? What will be? What is your place? Do you want to find that place? 
A good way to find your place is to follow the Buddhist teachings, because Buddhism focuses on the human being and his free choice. This is a very unusual concept for Europeans, as the teachings of the monotheistic faiths are strictly hierarchical in nature. You are in the driver's seat, you are the master of what is happening. So how could everything be connected? What could be the deeper meaning of existence? What structure fits you? Question marks often thus future interpretation skills are now required. Where is the journey going for you? I understand you, human behavior can quickly get out of control, but according to Buddha we are not guilty. The idea of the circumstances of our existence can seem very threatening. Just where will we go? After hearing this text, are you ready to think about your place in the world? Thinking about the philosophy of Buddha can be very liberating. Dying is inevitable. The wisdom of the Indian Prince is still valid to this day. Okay again. Where do we come from? Where will we go? Is there more to life than just satisfying basic needs? The German political theorist Hannah Arendt once said, A world that is to have room for the public cannot be built for only one generation or planned only for the living. It must transcend the lifespan of mortal humans. And the Lord spoke to Abraham. I find it interesting that all monotheistic religions come from the same area. Polytheism underpins little, Genesis shows stories. Fact or fiction, real or not, who wrote what and when. And the Lord spoke to Moses. Today there are five books of Moses. On close examination, it was certainly very crowded on that ark. The flood hypothetically lasted for centuries. The father of all tribes drew attention to God with letters on a stone. The words I understand, but their meaning just not. Scholars agree the earth is a disk. Canaan would certainly have a highway exit today. The story of the Exodus is still effective as a message today. The work of Buddha provided other new ideas with a concept deeper meaning. Cult figures gave content, then the people raised a great war cry. The wall of Yoshua slowly fell down. Rubble and ashes, nothing else remained of many ancient cultures. The piles of stones of magnificent temples, houses, whole states came and differed away again. Nothing remains in the end, the nothing destroys itself. From the nothing we came to the nothing we will return. Is that so? What was there before us? What was it like? What values have we adapted? Cultures before us have passed away decayed values, nations in decline, every system will fall one day. All things and people will turn into dust one day. Nature will find its way. 
Every old chart of clay shows antiquity. Bones collapse into new egalitarianism. How did the religion that rules here come over my ancestors? Through a revolution. When the old system collapsed, the minority goes newer ways, established new structures. The cause thereby exposes the purpose of thought. Outsiders in thought bring new identity. Never may be expressed what should not be conceivable. All mentions never led to the goal. The karma is the superior institution, the higher instance, it stands determining as a fixed point already. The belief is in the one, only God, which excludes the existence of other gods, is a belief, not the well-funded knowledge. Buddhists are open-minded, tolerant and understanding towards the other value systems. So if people have a belief, Buddhists respect that, will not turn away at all. The German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer once said, the basic difference of religions is whether they are optimism or pessimism, not at all whether monotheism, polytheism, trimurti, trinity, pantheism or atheism like Buddhism. Forgiveness, can you forgive? Those who understand that human beings are not perfect can forgive. When another person misbehaves, we are offended. We have to consider whether we can and want to forgive that person at all. Words and deeds can hurt a lot. But what is even more difficult is to forgive ourselves for our own mistakes, because our ego constantly plagues us with reproaches. Can you forgive yourself? According to Buddha, we bear no blame at all, since things will come exactly as they should, depending on our karma. Karma comes from this life and the last lives, and is interlocked and connected with the destiny of other people. So if we are not to blame for the wrongdoing of others or our own, then as a consequence there is nothing to forgive. This in turn means that we do not have to worry about it, but can relax and wait for the things that might come. Since we do not have to forgive ourselves or others, we should not waste our time with hatred and resentment. He said that, she did that, all is unimportant in real being. Buddhists cannot forgive because they know there is nothing to forgive. Those who understand how things are related know that reality exists only felt, that only our conception composes the filters that then determine perception. Regulating things, that is an illusion. According to Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, at no time can the location and the momentum of a particle be determined simultaneously. The teaching of the teachers of all teachers also says that nothing is or was determinable, so forgive yourself because there is nothing to forgive. Forgive our people, 
for they have only lived their comma. The 35th President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, once said, Forgive your enemies, but never forget their names. Did you enjoy the podcast? Thank you for listening to Buddha Block. Did you notice that there are no ads running here? That you are not inundated with consumer messages? Would you like to thank the author of this blog for his work with a donation? Support me. Contribute to the extensive costs of this publication. Your support can help to continue the important work we are doing for Buddhism. Please also download my app Buddha Blog English from the Apple and Android stores. 1000 thanks. Mm-hmm.